Our scripture reading for this morning's sermon is from Matthew 6, verses 7 through 8. I'd encourage you to have your Bible open so you can follow along or you can follow along on the screen behind. Just two verses, Matthew 6, 7 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Many of us can struggle with feeling like we don't pray enough. We look at other Christians or we read stories of Christian biographies and we hear the ways that these people gave themselves to prayer and we feel guilty because we feel like we don't pray enough. We wish it was longer. Some of us, though, are very consistent in prayer. We never miss family prayers. We have our hour of prayer in the morning. We may even pray all night at certain times. Regardless of how long you pray, whether it's short or whether it's long, regardless how frequently you pray, the question that we should ask is not really how many words are we saying, how long are we spending in prayer, but are we praying like Christians or are we praying like pagans? That's what Jesus wants us to see this morning. He wants us to reflect on the way that we are praying and what the way that we pray reveals about what we think about God. Are we thinking about God as our Father? Are we treating him like a pagan deity? This is our second sermon in our series through Jesus' words on prayer in Matthew 6. Last week we saw that when we pray, we shouldn't be like the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who prayed in order that people would see them. They loved to stand in public places and prayed prayers, not so that God would see them, but so that other people would see them and give them glory. Here, Jesus is telling us, don't pray like the Pharisees, but don't also pray like the pagans, who heap up many words in order to reach God. And here's the main thing that we're going to see this morning. Unbelievers seek to manipulate God in their prayers. Disciples seek to trust God with their prayers. Unbelievers pray in order to control or to manipulate God. Disciples pray in faith to trust God. See, we're just going to look at two points. Manipulation and a wrong view of God and then trusting the Father who knows all things. So first, manipulation and a wrong view of God. In verse 7, Jesus exposes the heart that tries to manipulate, tries to influence, tries to control God. Look at verse 7 again. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. According to Jesus, the Gentiles, and here that doesn't mean merely non-Jews. Jesus is thinking of non-Jews who don't worship Yahweh, who don't worship God. These are pagans. Some of your Bibles, I think the NIV has the word pagan there, right? These Gentiles, they pray in a way that's wrong. Their prayers, they heap up word upon word upon word, phrase upon phrase upon phrase, trying to get to their God. And Jesus says, that's not how Christians pray. That's not how disciples pray. We should not be like them. Sonny and I, as we were looking at the text this week, 
both of us thought of the illustration of Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. Do you guys remember that story? So Elijah is one of the few prophets of Yahweh left in the land of Israel. Israel, though they are God's chosen people, are worshiping sometimes Yahweh, but mostly they're worshiping the pagan deity Baal. So there's 450 prophets of Baal, and there's a single prophet of Yahweh. And Elijah, God's prophet, issues a challenge. He says, don't be divided in your worship. This is kind of the Old Testament version of you can't serve two masters. You can't serve Baal and Yahweh. If Yahweh's God, worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. So we're going to have a challenge here. What we're going to do is we're going to take bulls and we're going to prepare them as an offering, but we're not going to light a fire. Instead, we're going to pray to our God and we're going to have him light the fire for us. Do you remember how the prophets of Baal prayed? They prayed for hours. They took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. That's a four-hour public quiet time. Not very quiet. Crying aloud, right? They're calling on their God for four hours. They're limping around the altar that they made saying, oh, Baal, answer us. They cry aloud to try and get Baal's attention. They're even willing to do what? They, they cut themselves with swords so that their blood is running because they want to show, we want you to hear us, Baal. Would you hear us? And Baal doesn't hear him. He doesn't answer. In fact, 1 Kings 18 makes it very clear, no one answered. There was silence. Elijah, meanwhile, prays a simple prayer. God throws down fire from heaven and consumes the sacrifice. This is an example of what Jesus calls heaping up empty phrases. Some Bibles translate this as babbling on, endless chatter, just talk, 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 to try to get their God's attention. The prophets of Baal think that their loud cries, their outward acts of devotion, will get their God to answer them. That they just need to try harder. That they just need to pray louder. That they just need to put their blood into it and their God will hear them. And Jesus says, that's wrong. The reason this is wrong is not necessarily because of the words themselves. Now, they were saying wrong words. They were saying wrong words to a wrong God. But the reason isn't the words. The reason is the heart behind the words. It's what the practice reveals about what they believe about their God. Look at the se second half of verse 7. Don't be like them, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Their view of God says, the way that God hears me is if I add words to them. If I keep adding my many words, I'll get my God's attention and he will answer them. And to be honest, if we're, if we're Christians, we can be tempted to think the same. We come to God in prayer, and we pray long, long prayers. Please, God, please, please, please. Trying to keep up word after word after word so that God would respond and give what we actually want. We think that 
praying for a long time is the way to get God's attention. This is wrong, and it's wrong because it reveals a God who is too small. It treats God as if he can be manipulated or influenced by words. As if we can control him by pressuring him to do something. It puts the focus on the words that we speak rather than the God we are speaking to. Our prayers become like the child in class who's trying to answer a question and really wants to stand out. Some of you kids have kids in your classes like this. I lead our youth. I know our youth certainly have teenagers like this, right? If you have a question that's asked and everyone's hand goes up, there's always going to be one kid, and what, what's that kid going to do? They really want to answer. Kids, how are you going to get your attention of your parent or your teacher? You're going to reach a little higher, right? You're going to try and reach higher than the other kids. You might wave, ooh, ooh. You may even like shout out, I know, pick me. I know the answer. You're trying to add something that's going to make you stand out so that your teacher will recognize you. Now, imagine you're a child who is diligently raising your hand patiently, waiting. And every time you raise your hand like this, the teacher picks the child who's waving the wildest to answer the question. What are you going to do? You're going to wave the wildest. You're going to say, I know how this works. If I wave harder, that's going to get me the teacher's attention. Who's in control of that situation? The child waving the wildest. The teacher is bending their will to the pressure that the child is putting on them. Pick me, pick me. And if you're trying to do it the right way, patiently waiting, then what you realize is you can't actually trust that teacher. That teacher is someone who is controlled by others. A God that we can manipulate is a God we can't trust. His attention is fickle. He bends his will to the wishes of other people. And yet many of us view prayer this way. We start the new year with an all-night prayer service. Now, it's not wrong to pray all night. But I was asking some guys yesterday, I said, okay, why, why do some of your churches, when you start the new year, why do you pray all night? And one of them answered, well, because that's the time that God really pays attention. He's on extra attention at the end of the year. That's wrong. That's treating it as if you'd better get in there. You better get in there and pray all night, because if you want your prayers answered, that's the time, that's the place. God's calendar is only so full. He's got an opening. Get in there, and that's when he's extra attention. You're trying to manipulate God. You're trying to influence him. Some of us come from backgrounds where if we speak in the right tone of voice, or if we declare it to be true in prayer, it will happen. Some of us bargain with God. We plead. We say, God, if you give me an A on this exam, I will do the dishes for the rest of the week. That's how some of you parents are praying for your kids. Lord, give them an A on their exam so they'll do the dishes for the rest of the week. Right? Our bargaining with God can be manipulation. What we're trying to do is we imagine as if God's will can be bent to ours. 
Church, our words do not bring us to God. Our many words do not give us a standing before God. We can babble on like we're building a tower, word by word, minute by minute, brick by brick, and we'll never reach God by our mere words alone. In reality, we're nothing more than the child waving their hand in the air. Our prayers are wrong because our view of God is wrong. He is not impressed with our long prayers. He is not controlled by our many words. He does not bend to our wills. And in fact, if in your heart you are thinking that that's how it works, your prayers may actually be pagan rather than Christian. There may be some of you here this morning who are trying to control and manipulate God in this way. Right? You want a visa, you want a job, and so you come to church when you have a need to get God to answer your prayers. You're praying late into the night because you think that'll get God's attention. You're not asking God for things. You're telling him for things. If that's you, your God is too small. And he's not trustworthy. Because if you can control God, then that means someone else can control God too. And how do you know that they're not the ones who are manipulating God and controlling God? You need to have your eyes open to see the reality of who God truly is. And that's what Jesus does. He shows us God as he truly is to encourage us to pray rightly. And this is the second point that we see, trusting the Father who knows all things. Jesus combats a false practice of prayer, heaping up empty phrases, not by saying, oh, do it in this way. He combats it with theology. He combats it with truth about God. Look at verse 8. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. The reason we do not pray like pagans is because we do not have a God like the pagans. We do not pray like pagans because we have a God who knows what we need before we ask him. The way that you're going to correct your practice of prayer is by correcting your view of God. It's by seeing God for who he truly is. Right theology leads to right prayer. Theology, the study of God, is not something that is reserved merely for pastors or professors. It's not something that's for the really, really intelligent Christians. Everyone has a theology. Everyone has a way that they are viewing God. Christians need to have a right theology because theology that is in line with the Bible, knowledge of God that's in line with the Bible, will lead to trust. It's like an anchor that's going to hold you fast when life blows you around on the sea. Your knowledge of God will keep you. The pagans had a theology problem. That's why they had a prayer problem. As one writer said, what comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When you hear the word God, the things that you think about him, those are what matters most to you. And the reason that's the case is because it affects the way that you live in every area of your life. Do you view God as hard to please? When you think of God, 
do you view him as a stern dictator who is hard to please? That's going to affect the way you live. You're going to always be on alert waiting for him to be displeased with you. Do you view him as distant, as inaccessible? Do you view him as impersonal, as like a force? We can't really know him. He doesn't really have a name. He doesn't really have characteristics. He's just out there, God. That's going to affect the way that you view your life. Do you think he knows all things? That he knows what's going on in your heart right now as I preach. He knows what's going on in my heart right now as I preach. I don't mean do you know in order to answer your Sunday school exam. I don't know. I don't mean if you know to be able to give the right answer to the question. I mean when no one is looking, how do you think about God? How do you view him? It will affect the way that you live. And as Christians, we believe that God has told us what he is like. He's given us his word. We can go with pleasure and happiness. It is our duty and our delight to go to God's word and to learn what he is like. We don't have to guess. He tells us. Have you ever had someone over to your home from a different culture? We're a multicultural church. This, this happens a lot where you're interacting with someone from a different culture, and there can be some fear that's there. Do I serve the tea before? Do I serve the tea after? Which hand do I shake with? Right? What's the evening going to be like? What's conversation going to be like? It really helps when you're hosting someone from a different culture to have someone from that culture tell you in advance, this is what's going to be expected. This is what it's going to be like. God tells us how we ought to think about him. He doesn't leave us wondering, oh man, I've heard of this God, and man, I, I've heard some things about him, and I need to figure out what it's like to please him. No, he speaks to us. He reveals himself to us so that we can go and we can say, what are you like, God? We don't have to wonder. We study theology so that we can live with freedom and joy before God. We don't have to guess. You should seek to grow as a Christian not only in your feelings about God, but in your knowledge of God. Because unless your feelings are connected to truth, you might be worshiping the wrong God. You might be making a God after your own image, or you might be thinking of God the way that the prophets of Baal thought about Baal. We should study the Bible to know God. We should read theology books to know God. One of the reasons we put together a study called Who is God is so that you would know God. You should meet with other believers to talk about your faith and to talk about God so that you can bring your thinking rightly because it will affect the way that you live. When theology is connected to right affections and right feeling. It leads us to joyfully worship God. He no longer becomes a dull thing. He's not an academic thing. He's a person. He's real. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Jesus teaches us theology so that we can pray. He teaches us theology so that we can trust the God that we pray to. And what about God does Jesus teach? He teaches a theology of God's knowledge. Look at verse 8 again. 
Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus teaches that God knows all things. God knows our prayer requests before we make them. God knows our needs before we ask him. And this teaching of God's knowledge is found all over the scriptures. Brother Malloy read it from Psalm 139. We see that God knows where we are at all times. He knows when we sit down and when we rise up. Psalm 139 says, You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all our ways. God knows what you're going to say before you say it. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. We don't know our own hearts. We can't trust our own hearts. Our hearts are deceitful. But God knows our hearts. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. He knows what's going on in our hearts. God knows every sparrow in the world. He knows every hair on your head. The resounding teaching of the Bible is that God knows all things at all times. He knows what has happened, what is happening, what will happen. And he knows it purposefully. Not as a passive observer, but he is active in his knowledge. And one of the questions that virtually every Christian asks, some of you are wondering this yourself. Kids, you guys ask the hard questions. I know some of you have asked this. If God knows all things, then why do we pray? If God knows what we need before we ask him, why should we pray? What's interesting is that rather than teaching God's knowledge as a stumbling block to prayer, Jesus says God knows what you need before you ask as an encouragement to prayer. He doesn't see God's knowledge as something that keeps us from praying. He sees God's knowledge as something that fuels us to pray. And as we think about it, it's an an amazing comfort to have a God who knows what we need before we ask him. He's never misinformed or lacking information. He's never surprised at your situation. Like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize that that's what it was like for you. He knows the millions of things that are going on. The things that we don't know that are going on, he knows. He knows our needs better than we know ourselves. We can be like kids being like, you know what I need? I need candy always. Ice cream, always. Parents know, no you don't. You need vegetables. You need milk. You need protein. We go to God sometimes asking for candy, and he knows what we actually need. He knows our strengths, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our successes and our failures. And here's the thing, How does Jesus describe God here? He knows them as our Father. Your Father knows what you need. If you had an enemy who was aware of all of your weaknesses and all of your needs, that's a bad thing. Because what's he going to do with that knowledge? He's going to use it against you. But if you have a doctor, you want your doctor 
to know your weaknesses. You want your doctor to know your medical needs. Because what she's going to do is she's going to use that knowledge not to harm you. She's going to use that knowledge of need and weakness in order to heal you, in order to help you. It is good that your heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask him because he is your Father who is committed to you. He cares for you. He loves you. He seeks your good. He doesn't necessarily seek your temporary comfort. Right? Screen time, kids, is very comfortable. But it's not good for you to have it all the time. God allows for us to go through pain and suffering and difficulty. But in it all, he is seeking our eternal good. He is seeking our eternal happiness, the sort of good that will never fade away or be destroyed. And all this means that we can trust him. We can depend upon him. He knows our need and is committed to us. And one of the clearest pictures that we see of God knowing our need before we ask him is in the death of Jesus Christ. Before you ever had any awareness of your sin, before you ever knew that you had sinned against a holy God and deserved judgment, God sent Jesus into the world to take your place and to die, so that if you would turn to him in faith, you would be saved. Before you knew that you had a debt to pay, God paid that debt. While you were dead in your trespasses and sins, thinking that you were alive, God sent Jesus so that you might be made alive. You did not know your need, but God did. And that's the good news of the gospel, is that now that you can see your need, you can experience the happiness and pleasure that you were meant for. Because if he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God met that need, then we can trust him to meet every need for the future. If God knows all things, though, we still haven't answered the question, why should we pray? Why does he command us to pray? Because in our prayers, God's not after our information. God's not after our words. God's after our hearts. He wants us to trust him. And the way that we demonstrate that trust in him is through prayer. It's by expressing our need to God. He knows that we have need, but we often don't. And he wants us to express that need to God and say, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. Imagine you're doing a project or completing a task with a partner, and you know what to do, but this person doesn't know what to do. And you know that this person doesn't know what to do. You're watching them. They're messing up. They're making mistakes. They need to ask for help. And when they come to that conclusion, I don't know what I'm doing, and it sure looks like this person knows what they're doing, they're faced with a choice. Do they keep going in pride, saying, I bet I could figure this out on my own. I don't need to ask this other person to show me how to do it the right way. Or do they humble themselves and say, you know, I need help. Could you show me what to do? 
our prayers are a way of us humbling ourselves before God. He knows our need. And when we see our need, we're left with a choice. Do we bring our need to God? Or do we think, nope, I can figure this out on my own. In his sovereignty, God chooses to use prayer to accomplish his tasks. Prayer really does do things because God wants prayer to do things. Not because our prayers manipulate God. Our prayers don't change God's will. We pray in light of God's will, and God does things. But he also uses prayer for us to help ourselves see who we truly are and what we truly need. We need his help. We can't do it on our own. We need to depend upon him. The thing that God's looking for in our prayers is not eloquent speech. It's not length of time. It's faith. That's what he wants. When you pray, are you trusting him as your father who knows what you need before you ask? Or do you not trust him? And that's why you try to control him because you really trust yourself. If our prayers are a vehicle, a car that brings us to God, the fuel that they run on is not words. It's not time. The fuel that fuels the car is faith. And it is right theology about God that builds our faith in him because it reminds us over and over and over again that we can trust him as our father. And this affects the way that we pray, the way that we approach prayers. Our prayers can be simple. We don't need to bring our big, fancy words to God. Some of you are very intelligent people, and you bring big, fancy words to me that I don't understand. You can bring those to God, but you don't need to fake it. You can talk to God the way you would talk to your father. Kids, you can pray. You don't have to use grown-up words when you talk with God. You can talk to him the way you would talk to your mom and dad. Our prayers can be simple. Our prayers can be genuine. He already knows our need, so we don't need to fake it. We don't need to try to be more spiritual than we truly are. Our prayers can be short. Lord, help me is a prayer that we can pray often. I, I've told some of you this. My, my, my dad uses this expression. I don't know how often he uses it. He's used it before, and I picked it up. But he uses the expression called Nehemiah prayers. There's a section in Nehemiah where Nehemiah is approaching the king, and the king asks him, what do you want me to do? And Nehemiah says, so I prayed. And then he answered. I don't think Nehemiah said, let me go into my closet. Let me get and let me pray all night, and then I'll bring your request. I think that prayer was, King, what do you want me to do? Nehemiah, Lord, help me. Here's my request. We can pray, help me, Lord. I believe, help my unbelief. And God is impressed with it when it's connected with faith. And we can pray long prayers. It's good to pray long prayers but not to control or manipulate God, but to enjoy God's presence for a long time. If you want to spend all night in prayer because you want to enjoy God all night in prayer, that is a good thing. 
just don't think that by spending all night in prayer, you add a lick to the finished work of Christ. You don't make God love you more by spending all night in prayer. But you can enjoy him more yourself by spending all night in prayer. Church, we cannot control God with our words. We can't manipulate him. And that's good news. Because it means that we can trust him. As our father who knows what we need before we ask him. Let's be a praying church who brings our request boldly. Simply yet confidently, because our Heavenly Father knows us, and He cares for us. Let's go to Him right now. Lord, we do trust You. Lord, we pray that You would forgive us for the ways that we can try to control You or try to manipulate You. Lord, I pray that You would help us to depend upon You. We love You, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.